0: CHAPTER Twenty-Two OF THE APOSTLE OF ALASKA THE STORY OF WILLIAM DUNCAN OF METLAKATLA BY JOHN W. ARCTANDER THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN RECORDING BY PHIL Schampf. ONWARD AND UPWARD The building up of the little village now proceeded at a rapid gait. Before the fall of 1862, thirty-five houses, averaging thirty-four by eighteen, and each with four windows, had been erected governor douglas himself gave the windows and the nails for the buildings mr duncan had built a log house for himself containing a sitting-room a kitchen and a bedroom provided with two bunks so he was even in a position to entertain an occasional guest he had also during the summer and fall erected in time to be able to use it for the first time for the christmas services in eighteen sixty-two a large octagonal church there were two roaring fires in the centre the smoke finding its way up through an opening in the middle of the roof indian fashion the building had no flooring the people sitting on the bare gravel floor it could easily hold seven hundred people and soon as more and more every year came to live at metlakahtla it was often taxed to its utmost capacity both of these buildings were later on torn down to give place to the magnificent mission house unfortunately there are no photographs in existence of the two pioneer buildings at old metlakahtla from its beginning metlakahtla became known for its rigid observation of the sabbath day it was the first duty imposed by mr duncan on the indians in his very first address to them and he had always continued to insist that it is a christian's foremost duty to keep the sabbath day holy to do no secular work on that day but to devote it entirely to worship and rest the metlakahtla indians the name under which his people soon became known all over the coast not only observed sunday rigorously when at home which they could not of course very well help But wherever they went, and no matter how great the temptation might be, they were true to their convictions, and not only abstained from all labor, but made it a point to gather around the word every Sunday. Bishop Hills, in 1863, after mentioning the excitement attending the short fishing season and the importance of every hour's work while it lasts, writes, But what did the Christian Indians do when the Sunday came? The first Sunday of their fishing season, as Christians, although the fish had come up in greater abundance than ever, and the season was so short, the Christians said, We cannot go and fish. The heathen were full of excitement, gathering in the spoils. But the Christians said, No, we are God's people. God will provide for us, and we will spend the day as he tells us to do. Mr. Duncan relates an interesting incident which took place some years later captain butler who was at the time superintending the building of the telegraph lines through the interior of british columbia by the western union telegraph company and who was in a great hurry to get a shipment of wire and other supplies up to the large squad of workmen in the interior who would all be idle till the materials reached them came to mr duncan to ascertain if he could furnish him some men to take the supplies up the skeena river in their canoes just as fast as it could be possibly done whenever the materials should arrive on the steamer yes mr duncan said i can get you the men and very reliable men at that but they will not work on sundays that is too bad we are in such a hurry we have a large force lying idle at the company's expense every day costs a small fortune but get me twenty-four men and four canoes anyway.' This was done. When the captain came back with his small steamer they were ready. The steamer was towing several canoes belonging to some Indians, whom he had picked up. When he came by Metlakatla, Mr. Duncan said, "'I have done what you wanted me to. The men are all ready.' "'I am sorry,' the captain answered. "'I don't need them now. I have got enough Indians with me who will work on Sunday and every other day.' and with these words he started towards skeena river with his steamer and canoes the indians aggravated at his conduct sought mr duncan's advice as to what to do he has hired you mr duncan answered and has insulted you by passing you by you had better paddle your canoes the twenty miles and tell him you are ready to go to work as you agreed they did so it was a good thing for butler for when he was ready to start his canoes up the river he found his sunday and every other day indians all gone they had only wanted to get their canoes towed up anyway and under pretense of getting huffy at some treatment by some of his men they had all left him in the lurch he was therefore more than glad to get the at Lakatla indians under the circumstances he had some boats manned by white sailors and he started them all together one saturday at noon when sunday came the indians refused to proceed and tied up their canoes for the day on the river bank. he coaxed and threatened but it did not help then the sailors commenced to taunt and ridicule them knowing the indians weakness on that point but they stood by their guns stayed and held their little meeting while the white sailors pulled on their oars monday morning they started in afresh and before tuesday noon they came up with the white sailors and shot past them like a streak of lightning now it was their turn to laugh and taunt they shouted to the sailors that they would tell their friends that they would be coming along by and by captain butler later on had to acknowledge that these indians were the best and most reliable men he had ever had to deal with and that they always managed to get ahead of those who worked on sundays after that he always tried to get Metlakatla indians whenever he could new year's day eighteen sixty three the people of Metlakatla were to pay their first annual village tax to wit one blanket or two dollars fifty cents for every adult male and one shirt or one dollar for boys approaching manhood the proceeds were to be used towards village improvements that year for the building of a road around the village of one hundred and thirty amenable to the tax levy only ten defaulted and they were excused on account of poverty the total proceeds of the tax collection was one green one blue and ninety-four white blankets one pair of white trousers one dressed elk skin seventeen shirts and seven dollars it is evident that there were no tax dodgers at metlakatla as to the spiritual condition about this time mr duncan wrote the church missionary society as follows about four hundred to six hundred souls attend divine service on sundays and are being governed by christian and civilized laws about seventy adults and twenty children are already baptized or are only waiting for a minister to come and baptize them about one hundred children are attending the day school and about one hundred adults the evening school about forty of the young men have formed themselves into two classes and meet for prayer and exhorting each other the instruments of the medicine men which have spell-bound their nation for ages have found their way into my house and are most willingly and cheerfully given up the dark and cruel mantle of heathenism has been rent so it can never be made whole feasts are now characterized by order and goodwill and begin and end with the offering of thanks to the giver of all good gifts scarcely a soul remains away from divine service excepting the sick and their nurses evening family devotions are common in almost every house and better than all i have a hope that many have experienced a real change of heart thus the surrounding tribes have now a model village before them acting as a powerful witness for the truth of the gospel shaming and correcting yet still captivating them for in it they see those good things which they and their forefathers have sought and labored for in vain to wit peace security order honesty and progress to god be all the praise and glory in april eighteen sixty three bishop hills of columbia came up from victoria to baptize fifty seven adults before admitting them to the holy sacrament he examined the applicants carefully he says about this part of the work it was a strange yet intensely interesting sight in the log cabin by the dim glimmer of a small lamp to see just the countenance of the indian sometimes with uplifted eyes as he spoke of the blessedness of prayer at other times with downcast melancholy as he smote upon his breast in the recital of his penitence the tawny face the high cheek-bones the glossy jet-black flowing hair the dark glossy eye the manly brow were a picture worthy the pencil of an artist the night was cold i had occasionally to rise and walk about for warmth yet there were more the indian usually retires as he rises with the sun but now he would turn night into day if he might only be allowed to have the sign and to be fixed in the good ways of god it is exceedingly interesting to read the bishop's description of the church and of the preparations for the baptism the impressiveness of the occasion was manifest in the devout and reverent manner of all present there were no external aids sometimes thought necessary for the savage mind to produce or increase the solemnity of the scene the building is a bare unfinished octagon of logs and spars a mere barn capable of containing seven hundred persons the roof was partly open at the top and though the weather was still cold there was no fire a simple table covered with a white cloth upon which stood three hand-basins of water served for the font and i officiated in a surplice thus there was nothing to impress the senses no colour or ornament or church decoration or music the solemnity of the scene was produced by the earnest sincerity and sincere purpose with which these children of the far west were prepared to offer themselves to god and to renounce for ever the hateful sins and cruel deeds of their heathenism and the solemn stillness was broken only by the breath of prayer the responses were made with earnestness and decision not an individual was there whose lips did not utter in their own expressive tongue their hearty readiness to believe and to serve god among those baptized on this occasion was legaic the head chief an account of whose life and death was given in the foregoing chapter when it has been said in a publication produced under the church missionary society's auspices that this absence of all external aids to devotion was the result of circumstances rather than choice it shows either a total unacquaintance with mr duncan's peculiarities and ideas or a wilful perversion of facts from his earliest days mr duncan had been shall i say a most intolerant opponent of everything even smacking of ritualism no crosses or altars or vestments or even lecterns are allowed in any church with which he has anything to do every service has to be as rigorously simple and unostentatious as it is possible to make it and it may well be believed that no bishop or any other priest would be allowed to indulge in any high church frills like bowing to the east or having the catechumens kneel before the officiating clergyman or before any one but god he simply would not have it as he once expressed himself to me he was bishop of columbia but i was pope of metlacatla so it had to be the way i wanted it or not at all we who know mr duncan can readily affirm that this picture painted by himself is not the least bit overdrawn it should perhaps here be added in order to explain his position on these matters that it is due to an honest conviction on his part that it would be absolutely detrimental to the indian to allow ceremonies ritual vestments and church decorations to be part of his religious devotion for the reason that he feels assured that in that case these outward elements would assume too great importance to him and that they would in fact become his religion instead of as it should be the faith of a repentant heart and the soul resting its sins forgiven in the loving arms of jesus the blessed saviour it may also at this place be said that as much as he detests forms and rituals and ceremonies in religion just as cordially he is opposed to emotionalism and from the earliest times he has discouraged as much as he could any phase of religion which would particularly address itself to the emotions of the natives with him it is and must be conviction faith and practice and nothing else in his sermons it is the head he addresses rather than the heart and yet he can sometimes be as tender as a woman the bishop before he left on the occasion mentioned just before this digression gave a feast of rice and molasses to all the village his description will give a new idea both of their ways and of their accomplishments he says they assembled in the octagon cloths were laid they all brought their own dishes and spoons there were three tables at each of which one of the chiefs presided their custom is to eat little at the time but to take away the principal part of the allotted portion all rise before and after the meal for grace singing was then introduced and excellent certainly were the strains of harmony poured forth in the english language several well-known rounds were capitally sung first a boat-song then when a weary task you find it persevere and never mind it then come tell me now sweet little bird who decked thy wings with gold and last god save the queen in this they were as quick and lively as any children in the world the men joining too in good time and with voices sweet and soft mr duncan afterwards addressed them in an earnest speech six months later the reverend r j dundas came to Matlakatla for the purpose of baptizing thirty-nine more adults and thirteen children in eighteen sixty six the bishop again visited the settlement and then baptized sixty-five adults on Whit Sunday. and in september of the following year the dean of christ church victoria mr duncan's old and beloved friend the reverend e cridge came up and stayed for several weeks and baptized ninety-six adults and eighteen children thus the good work continued almost every year from now on an increasing number were baptized and every new year's day a large number of new colonists were solemnly admitted to the privileges of the christian community in some years over one hundred joined in this connection it may be said that dean cridge on his visit to metlakahtla by his charming christian disposition completely won the hearts of the indians who after this looked upon him as their best friend next to mr duncan this was made apparent when bishop hills several years later wrote to mr duncan that he intended again to visit some time prior thereto the bishop had a falling out with dean cridge which occurred in this way a sacerdotal and ritualistic priest of the extreme high wing of the church had one day at the bishop's invitation preached in christ's church in victoria he gave full vent to his extreme faddish notions a matter of bad taste to say the least as it was well known that the dean was an extreme low churchman after the sermon the dean announced that never again as long as he was dean of christ's church should such a sermon be delivered in that church an announcement which was received by the congregation with a round of applause the bishop who was present went into a paroxysm of rage and not only roundly abused the dean in the vestry after the service but even went to the extent of having him prosecuted before an ecclesiastical court on the charge of brawling in church a prosecution which ended in the bishop taking away his licence the result of this abominable treatment of dean cridge was that not only he but almost his whole congregation left christ's church and joined the reformed episcopal church which latter church soon after recognized his eminent qualifications by making him a bishop this high office he to this day at the advanced age of ninety years still fills with that true christian love and evangelical zeal for which he always has been noted when the bishop's message came to mr duncan he who knew the indians feelings in regard to the trouble between the bishop and dean cridge thought it best to lay the matter before a meeting of his church and to ask the indians what answer they wanted to give the bishop it did not take the indians long to come to the conclusion that they wanted mr duncan to write the bishop let the bishop first become reconciled with mr cridge and then he may come to Metlakahtla. the letter was sent but no bishop came the indian christians at metlakahtla showed plainly enough by their action at this time that they were not persons with cringing knees even before the highest church dignitaries but reserved their christian privilege to insist upon christian conduct and disposition even in the princes of the church this declaration of independence on their part should have given fair warning to the society and to the church that they were not to be oppressed by any hierarchical domination but it was not heeded as will hereafter be made apparent in fact it is not unlikely that their open and frank avowal at this time was at least one of the causes of the persecution on the part of the church and state to which they would some day find themselves subjected chapter twenty two